My name is Paul Tizar, I'm Fear of Flying coach for 25 years and today I'm joined by a very special guest, someone I've known for, for I worked at approximately over 30 years, who is a specialist in overseas travel and keeping safe, has written several articles and books on this topic around personal safety and so I'm going to introduce to you Paul Christian. Paul, we've known each other for, for years and years and years. One of the things that I've always been particularly impressed with about you, apart from your amazing moustache, is the ability mm. to travel safely because you've done a lot of international travel yourself. You've, you've advised as a consultant people how to travel safely. And some of the stuff might seem really like common sense, but the trouble with common sense is it's not common. So what would you say is the number one tip that you would give people that, with travel opening up again shortly yeah it, yeah it's, it's an interesting one isn't it because we, we tend to think about travel it depends what you're doing to be honest with you and I, I was I've tried to work this out the other day I was thinking that you know the times I've traveled I've traveled obviously like a lot of people for work uh, and I also travel for holiday and, and people say to me well there's a big difference you know between the two and actually when I when I kind of plan to travel whether it's it's for work or for holiday I, I, I kind of plan to do the same thing, if that makes sense, because I try to embed, a, a, sorry, embed a, a basic set of rules for myself. And I kind of break it down. And whether it's holiday or whether it's work, I always kind of plan the before bit. So that's where I actually take the time to look at where I'm going. And my wife says to me sometimes, she says, what are you doing? I says, well, I'm just having a look at the airport plan that I've just found online to see where all the exits are. Now, I know I'm not a paranoid person, as you know, and I don't want anyone to become paranoid about travel. But I'm one of those people, I, I, you know, it's nice to step into the unknown, but only if I haven't got any, any information about what's there. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I understand. <laughs> so so, you, so let's, let's unpack that a bit then. So yeah. for anybody that's travelling somewhere, whether it's someone you know or don't know, one of you would always then look at the airport maps of the yeah. airport. Yeah, first of all, actually, before I even do that, I tend to look at where I'm going and, and I go to, uh, there's a number of travel sites you can go to, actually. You'll find them online, but I tend to go to the government ones first. I'll, I'll always look at the Foreign and Commonwealth Office and see what their kind of latest update is in the country I'm going to visit. Bearing in mind, they will always err on the side of safety because obviously they're making a statement. So they're very reluctant in, in some cases to say, don't go here. But, you know, there's some key phrases going there and saying things like, only essential travel. So I'd probably take notice of that. In, in line with some of my work, obviously I go to places where you wouldn't go as a tourist. So it's kind of slightly different then because I'm committed on a contract to go. But there's certain measures which I'll put in place which are exactly the same as going on holiday. So I'll always do or I'll gather as much information as I can about where I'm going. And that's both political and everything else to do with the weather, time of year I'm travelling. And then I look at what's going on in the country. You know, what's it like there generally? Are people friendly to tourism? And um, that will then dictate how I kind of dress when I go into a country. Because we can actually offend by how we sometimes dress when we go into these places. So I look at that quite carefully. And I'm always re very respectful of culture. So I like to look at the culture to see what it says about the, you know, the culture of a particular country and how people react to tourism. And then I kind of, that's my kind of pre-bit. So, and then I'll be looking at things like the airports, you know, what's the travel arrangements when I get there? 
I don't I don't particularly like package deals for that reason is I'm never quite sure who's going to pick me up or drop me off. It's it's kind of essential to me to make sure that you you fully understand that kind of process. So if you're booking a package deal, just try and find out where you're going and who's going to drive you. What kind of coach company? And and somebody once said to me, it's it's interesting. We'll jump in a taxi here, and we know it's been MOT, but then we're quite happy to land in another country and jump into a taxi. <laughs> and it's not fit for purpose because you can see that. Interesting. We'd accept those two differences, isn't it, in our yeah. culture? Well, yes. Well, we, I mean, I don't have your expertise, but I'm imagining that we put our current values of where Mm. we live and think that it's automatically the same when we go. Yeah. But one of the other things that I know that you often do is you you prepare a list. You have a list of numbers Mm. before you go anywhere. Uh, what, What sort of things would you think people should do as a minimum? Yeah, I think, again, with this kind of information in hand about beforehand, uh, when you're kind of planning to go away, is I, I look for key numbers. So I, I would always look for the number of the, the nearest diplomat I could find. So whether it's an embassy that we have there or whether it's a nominated third person from another country. So if you go to parts of Africa, there might not be a British consulate or embassy there, but there'll be somebody representing the British government there from another embassy or consulate. And that does happen, depending whereabouts you go in the world. So well, I'd always make I just, Sorry, Paul, why yeah. do you do that? Why would um, you do that? Because I suppose if you end up in that position where, let's say, unfortunately, you may fall ill, you may be very, very unfortunate and be subjected to some type of crime, so you lose your passport, you lose your money, it's always good to have a contact so that even with the local police, you can say, I need to speak to this particular person, you know, and here's the number. At least if you can't remember the number, you can remember the name of the person and maybe what embassy they're with or what consulate they're with and whereabouts they're situated, of course, within the country. So that, again, forms part of my planning. And I'll always have my mobile phone. And I do manually keep some telephone numbers as well inside my first aid kit. If I lose everything else, my baggage, I hope to keep on or hang on to my first aid kit or even written down in a notebook in a jacket. Um, okay, so we, there's a couple of things here. So we'll, we'll come back to the first aid kit because that yeah. might be a surprise to people. Uh, yeah. But before you do, we do that, what other numbers would you keep as a kind of matter of course before you go Well, anywhere? obviously, some kind of contacts back in my own country, family, any local hospitals or doctors that you, you can find out. And certainly, if you're going to take medical cover out, you need to make sure that you carry the medical docs, i.e. So if you're looking for an evacuation type, medical policy which you can get and i would suggest strongly recommend that if you go overseas you need to keep that number with you as well because sometimes depending where you're going of course you could end up in that position when you're ill and you're just going to stay there certainly with some of the medical insurances they will come and get you there is a rescue plan in place you've obviously got to pay for that and it it's not really that expensive in the great scheme of things and is that something you would always do I always do when I go overseas into isolated places. Yeah, I tend to do that. And you can run it like an ongoing policy. And I think it's it's fairly to say it's a good bet to have. It's certainly for contingency planning as well. It just depends on your budget. You don't always need it. You might be lucky. So you're doing a lot more than the average traveller would do. Does this, does this ever make you a bit more paranoid? Or do you think it's a healthier level of scepticism or safety awareness that you're doing based on an experience and that's all i can say is that 
you know, I'll, I'll take you back. So when I decided to write a book about this, about what I do, um, somebody said to me, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of erring on the side of safety. And I went, but why wouldn't I? Because it's in the culture where I come from. So I'm always happy to take risk, as you know, by some of the kind of adventures I've got up to over the past, but they're all calculated. And, and unfortunately, when I've been working overseas, I've seen people that have taken risks and perhaps it hasn't paid off for them. So they may be traveling through a country where I've been and they've tried to get through that country and ended up in, with, with problems. And certainly when I was working attached to the foreign office in, in a couple of countries in Africa, we've had to go out and, and find these people that have, have, have literally walked into an area of hostility where they shouldn't have been in the first place and they had no idea it was taking place. <laughs> I wondered why they were being held at gunpoint. So for those people that do extreme travel, I think it's a bit of a must. Uh, and when you think about it, if you take over, if you take insurance to travel overseas, even to Europe, which is in, which is encouraged, in those policies, you will see things like the, op- the option to get evacuation back to the UK. So if you're unfortunate and you drive into your swimming pool in Benidorm and you smash your head open, it can be very, very cost effective for them to remove you from there and bring you back to the UK for medical assistance. I don't think many people would have thought about that. I mean, certainly not not something. I do do the FCO bit, following your advice. I always check what's it say the threat level is for that country. Yeah. Yeah. And I also keep a list of medical contacts and um, local hospitals. You know, my partner laughs at that as well. (laughs) She's like, what? What do you want all that for? But I do do feel like I need that sort of stuff to give me a sense of, I'm, I'm aware then, a bit more situationally aware of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And, and, and it's not about being paranoid. It's just about putting measures in place. And we have to accept the fact that there's a difference between now going on holiday in some countries overseas now than there was 40 years ago. There is certainly a greater threat. And it was interesting that we saw the, the tragic circumstances of some expat workers out in uh, Mozambique well, I've been on safari in Mozambique and the situation that's there now was there 10 years ago. So the difference was when I went 10 years ago, I had all my contingency plans in place. It doesn't guarantee my safety or doesn't mean something's going to happen, but it was there. It was that fallback. And, and basically, we become ourselves in our own culture. Uh, we risk assess a lot. And it's not... Risk assessment isn't a bad word and it's not a paranoia word for me when we travel. It's just the acceptance that we have to plan and plan well to do it. That's interesting. So that you said about the word, the phrase contingency plans in place. So what what sort of things would you recommend or always do? Yeah. So so basically, if I if I go, if I arrive in an airport overseas and it happened to me, uh, no more than 18 months ago, where I arrived in a country, I was supposed to meet a representative from the organisation I was working with. I even had their name. So when I cleared through uh, customs to come into the main part of the airport, they weren't there. So I'm in a strange country I've never been to before. I'm supposed to be met. I've done everything I should have done in planning for that person to meet them. I needed a name, a description, which I got. Even I knew exactly what logo they were going to wear on their, on their T-shirt. And nobody was there. So here I am in this strange country in the middle of nowhere. 
at a small airport. But what I had done is I'd pre-stacked my telephone with an emergency number, which was linked to a European country. I was able to phone that. They were able to speak direct to somebody and then somebody else came out to meet me, or you know, albeit it was it's three hours later. So that's what I mean about contingency plan. I I had everything done and put in place that I would expect to do myself normally, but it didn't happen that way. But I kind of anticipated it. Yeah. So this to me sounds like good advice for any traveller, but mm. particularly thinking about the audience for this podcast, we've got a lot of people who are scared of flying. Mm. and there is an element of letting go of control when you fly anyway and so perhaps this is a way for people to feel like they can put some measures in place so they they Mm. they can look after themselves when they are away yeah yeah i mean most of it is common sense and certainly if we're going to flying to we'll call them westernized countries you 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 would expect that'd be quite easy but it's very easy to step into the wrong taxi in london if you're a visitor from Europe to London. And I'll, I'll give you an instance. I had some friends coming over from the USA and they were going to go to Paris. I actually went to, with them, went to Paris with them for the day because they'd asked me, because they were scared about going to Paris. They'd never been outside the US. So I went across with them on the Eurostar and we spent a day together in Paris. And I gave them some do's and don'ts. I took them around the centre of Paris. So they felt kind of comfortable, if that makes sense. Because there is something called culture shock, which we can talk about. And basically, I got them there, settled into a hotel, and I left them there. And I gave them twos and don'ts. And three days later, I had a panic call. They'd left photographic equipment worth in the region of about £18,000 in a taxi and wanted to know what to do. So they got into a taxi that, that wasn't actually an official taxi. Mm. And they never saw their equipment again. No. And one of the things I said to them was there are some taxis in Paris. This is what you look for. Whenever you get in a taxi, just get the number, the license number of either the vehicle or certainly on their license to operate because they've got them in Paris. Well, they didn't have any of that. So the French police went, you've lost it. Yeah. So I'm now curious about the do the list of do's and don'ts. What are they then? <laughs> I I can't keep the list of do's and don'ts. It's it's far too long. I put these lists into that very, very small booklet I I kind of designed, as you know, about about Stay Safe, which is a Kindle book, and it it is really cheap, and it's online. I kind of break it down in more detail there into kind of five stages, just of the travel. I mean, there's, there's a lot more information in there about culture shock, about trying to identify conflict in your life, etc. So yeah, a bit in there about the travel side of it. And I break it down into the stages that you should consider when you travel overseas, either working or on holiday. And there are some key kind of tips in there to follow. I mean, I, I could go on, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. but it would take too long. <laughs> yeah, so the, there are some ideas there. There's some, so the book is called Stay Safe, which is on yeah. Kindle, and there'll be a link available in this uh, podcast as well but there's some massive tips i've read it quite a few years ago but something i've always known about you so when we travel which we do even just to belgium or france Mm. which is what we would say is pretty local to us in the uk yeah yeah i'm always amazed at how prepared you are like things like because the law is that you've got to have high visibility and all the rest of it but you've got all that anyway 
Mm. Uh, you have like a it's like a folder with everything, all your documents in it, all in one place, ready to to produce if you need them. Mm. You, you know exactly the routes we're going. You've got all this planned out beforehand, which makes me feel very relaxed when I'm with you. Mm. But I've also yeah. noticed that you always always have a first aid kit with you. <laughs> yeah. That. yeah, my first aid kit. How many times yeah. have we pulled that out before now? I'm yeah. one of those people that in my life I always seem to be grabbing for a first aid kit because, uh, don't I say, there's people fall over in front of you sometimes. So, yeah, it's interesting because when I go overseas, I'll just show you. Actually, there you go. I'll show it. There it is. You know what? For the, the benefits of the audio. <laughs> yeah. He's so holding up all... a first aid kit. Yeah, so this the first aid kit. one, yeah? Uh, this is one I take with me wherever I go overseas. I've had, this one I sit. I've got one very similar in the vehicle now. So, how what size would you say that was? It's not that great, is it? It's not massive, but that goes with me wherever I go overseas. So, if I was to unzip it and open it, which I'll just do now for the sake of camera. So, in there I've got some rather interesting things. So, I always carry some type of, of medicine with me, not for personal use, but in case I feel ill or anybody else feels ill. And it will surprise people. I carry about five sachets of Lemsip, mm -hmm. cold remedy. Yeah. And somebody goes, I don't like it. Well, the thing about it is it's got paracetamol in it, which is really, really useful to have with you if you're suffering with any type of pain. <laughs> because basically, it's the equivalent of taking half a paracetamol tablet. It's great. Because if you run out of paracetamol tablets, you've got Lemsip. Lemsips also taste a lemon and it's quite good for your morale if you're not feeling too good mm. to have a nice hit of hot lemon or cold lemon if you really need it. I always carry those with me, mainly because of the paracetamol. And I also carry sachets of diarolite and I carry black currant. So if you have any type of stomach complaint or fever, you can take the diarolite and it's really, really good for you because it replaces the body minerals. So they're really, really effective to carry with you. And I always carry about five or six sachets of those. I also carry nappy, ra nappy rash cream, pseudocreme. Okay, yeah, because in an emergency, you might, what, get a uh, rash? You might, yeah, you could get a rash. You can use anything. So if you're in the tropics, desert areas, and you cut your skin, it'll get infected really, really mm. quickly. And you mm. can't run around with a plaster on. They won't last that long. Plasters, uh, when you carry them for any length of time, uh, become useless. They lose their sticky effect, especially. And some people are actually allergic to, to putting plasters on. So if you're not if you're not allergic to pseudocreme, it's antiseptic healing cream, and it's got some. It does well. It says here, this is what I like. It says you can have it for sunburn, minor burns, acne, bed sores. I never get those on holiday because I'm always walking around. Chillblains, surface wounds. And that's why I keep it, because you just kind of smear that on. You can even put it on mosquito bites as well. So I always carry a small tub of pseudocreme. It's like, did you ever see that film, My uh, Big Fat Greek Wedding? Yes. Spraying windowlead on everything. <laughs> that's, that's my equivalent. It's called pseudocreme. Small that <laughs> one of pseudocreme. As well as that, I carry a very, very small jar of Vaseline as well. It does the same thing, basically. It protects the skin. Okay. Mm. Chapping. It's very good for that. I also carry now in, in this modern day and age, but I have done for years and years overseas, hand cleansing gel as well. Yeah, of course. And some sprays, uh, you know, the normal kind of sprays, anti, you know, malaria, you know, mosquito sprays, anything like that. 
that you would normally carry if you're going to the tropics, as well as carrying Nurofen, some paracetamol, some bandages. I go for triangulate, uh, triangular bandages because they're bulky and they're big and you can tie them around people's arms or limbs to immobilize them if you need to. Mm-hmm. And a very, very few plasters I carry. I hope what that else? makes sense. Yeah. Anything so, else in there? That's that it? Uh, well, what else is in there? I've got a couple of sachets for crushing to turn to ice. In case of injuries, I've got some sterile water, very small amount of sterile water. And it's all down to where you're going and what you're doing. If I was going to some of the isolated places I've been before, I might even go as far as taking arranging for plasma bank as well. In case you have a traffic accident, you can arrange to do that in isolated places. But we'll talk about really isolated there, where there's no medical facilities. I think most of us tend to go where there is, is some form of medical facilities available to us. It's just yeah. like we said before, knowing where they are and who to go to. Locations of hospitals in your area. Awesome. So what would you say are the classic mistakes that people who don't plan could fall prey to when they travel? Just not preparing enough, actually. And I, I was said, I mentioned something about culture shock there before. And, and literally we go through this. Well, a lot of people go through it if they're not used to traveling. So you arrive in a strange country. The first thing is, is you're on your guard because you're kind of hypersensitive or you're totally the opposite and you're on holiday and you're looking at things and not seeing things. Mm. so um, it kind of lulls you into a false sense of security because people are happy smiling and you are because the sun shines out and so we tend to go into culture shock one or two ways we either embrace it fully the first day or we're slightly guarded and it takes a bit of time to get through that until we orientate ourselves and I know quite a lot of people that have, have had their documents stolen within 24 hours of arriving in a country happened to one of and our goddaughters, uh, she arrived in Brazil and within 24 hours was back on a plane on her way home because they'd had everything stolen in a park. And it was very, very unfortunate for them. Yeah. Um, Is that something that could have been avoided or was it just unlucky? Uh, no, could have been absolutely avoided. <laughs> Wrong place. <laughs> Wrong place at the right time for the person that mugged them. So, and that doesn't happen all the time. So you can lose documents as well, or they can be stolen from your hotel room. And one thing I meant to say to you was, I, I'm surprised about the people that go overseas with passports, but don't have a photostat copy of their passport somewhere on them or near them. So if your passport gets stolen, even if you've got a photograph of it and the number on your mobile phone, and you, which you should keep separate, by the way, from your rucksack. So if your rucksack's stolen and all your documents in there, at least your mobile phone's got them listed or, or mm. photographed on your phone. That's the great thing about technology, because you can also put it on cloud. So no matter where you are, when you've got access to a computer or the internet, you can then call down the details, which saves you a lot of grief when you're trying to get a replacement passport. Gee, there you go. So you're just the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, I'll give you some more then as well. So do the same with your airline ticket as well. How many people actually copy their airline ticket? Unless, of course, you're doing it now where you're a smart person and you're able to go in and just scan your mobile phone. Yes, but so, so to me, it sounds like the, the technique, though, is to back it up, whatever, whatever you're doing. Yeah. So even if you're scanning the mobile phone, you probably then would need 
a printed version copy. of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you need a digital copy or, a, you know, a physical copy of it as well. So, and that's what I've always done. You know, I, I must admit, I do that all the time. So all my, my travel documents that I would need are online. I literally photograph them at the airport, stick them on cloud. I really like this. What about when mm. you're on a flight? Is there anything that you, in your experience, that people need to do, keep themselves safe? I mean, aside from the flying side of it, you know, but general, mm. anything, safety tips there? Yeah, it depends in relation to what. I, um, I'm i a firm believer in, I never, I never fly, as you probably know, and consume huge amounts of alco uh, alcohol. So when I arrive, I'm in a different area altogether in my life. I tend to arrive sober because <laughs> I like to know what's going on around me. And yeah. as you know, I am not paranoid at all. I'm the least paranoid person going. But I've just trained myself over the years to look at what goes on around me. Same on an aircraft. If I'm on an aircraft, I tend to walk a lot. As you know, I get up and I move around. And, and, and I'm, I, I'm interested in my fellow passengers all the time. You know, so I, I tend to stay away from the ones that are maybe slightly drunk. <laughs> so would you be a sort of person that if you sat on a seat, you'd know exactly where the exits were and things like that? Would that be so? Well, yeah, that's the good thing about I was going to say to you this. So because we talked about flying and, you know, maybe some people have a fear of flying is I would always listen. I still do. I listen to every safety briefing. So even when I'm flying overseas, it's supposed to be given in English. It's not. It's given in another language. I tend to know when they're pointing at the emergency exits, what they're meaning, mm. because I look at where their hands are pointing. So, yes, yeah, it goes without saying. Look at your safety card on every flight you get on. Know where your emergency exits are. Where is the closest one to you? And what happens if that one's shut? Where do you go then? Yes, without a doubt. I always know where the toilet is straight away as well. But more importantly, I know where the food cart is kept because I like my food early. <laughs> so, and here's a tip for you. I always order vegetarian food when I fly because it normally gets delivered first. <laughs> okay. So there's, there's some nice little tips there. And some of those are might seem like common sense to people, but again, mm. it's very easy to get lulled into this false sense of security when you fly. And I know for a lot of cabin crew, for example, mm. they have problems when they fly because they they sometimes forget that they're in another country and you're in a very sort of protected bubble. And it is just keeping that situational awareness, isn't it? That's what you're talking about here is, yeah. you know, not sort of switching your brain off. Yeah. I don't know if you remember many years ago, you and I flew together to San Diego. Do mm. you remember? A long, mm -hmm. long time ago. Well, actually we flew to San Francisco, didn't we? We, we stayed in the same hotel. And, and what I was going to say to you was, I don't know if you remember, I pulled one of these out. And I'm just showing you a little door wedge. Do you remember that plastic door wedge? No. And I, yeah, you see, and I remember then because you were doing a lot of flying in those days for work. And I pulled this out and just before I went to bed, I kicked it. You saw me kicking the door and you said, what's that? And I said, it's a door wedge. He said, what are you doing that for? And I said, because you, you told me that this particular hotel and some of the cabin crew had had strange people knocking on the door and trying the door handles during the night. Do you remember that now? Yeah, yes. Uh, well, I always carry in my first aid kit a plastic door wedge. Because if you put the door wedge in at night and you kick it in, that is more likely to stop your door opening than the actual chain and the locks they fitted. Because the locks they fitted can be picked very easily, generally, even electronic ones. 
and the little caps that they put on can easily come off with a chain. There you go, see? I'd forgotten yeah. that one. Ah, yes. And the thing is, I'm not paranoid. <laughs> Sounds no. terrible, isn't it? But I'm not. It's just the whole set of kind of skills I try to learn from when I've been overseas because I've experienced things in different parts of the world where mm. I've been, you know, in isolated places as well. So. so what about when you get into the hotel room? Would you recommend always, searching it? What I always do, yeah, I do. I check the door locks, actually. And it's happened to me when I've been working in Houston a couple of years ago, where I, I came into my hotel room, made sure the door was locked, made sure that the, the, the chain was on, and I was having a shower, and I heard my door go, and somebody tried to come into the room, and I'd only been there for half an hour. Mm. So I went down and checked at reception so that I could get dressed, and they said, well, the electronic system hasn't said anybody's gone in there. I said, oh, yes, they have. So, I mean, for me, it was just the fact that um, when I go into hotel room, I always look around. I always know where the nearest emergency exit is. That's just common sense to me. Because if there's a fire, where do I go? Mm-hmm. And the lifts are out. So that's what I do. I have a good look around at where the exits are. And I do orientate myself. And I think most people do that. They have a look. For most of us, it's where's the bar is the first thing. Where's the restaurant second? Whereas I'm the, I'm the one that's looking where's the nearest fire escape. <laughs> yeah. So what about... This is really good stuff, actually. This is—I feel like I've—I've I've hit a rich seam of information. Yeah. Uh, if that's a mix of my metaphors, but when you—what about when you're walking about? Do you have a certain way that you would walk? I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking the yeah the mick. Do you do you have approach? You know, if you're walking down a road. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds terrible, this, but I, I kind of again did a checklist in the book about this. So, but one of the things I will say generally about walking is know where you're going to go. If you're going to go for a walk, plan it in your mind where you're going and when you're going to turn and come back. And, and certainly walking down a roadway at night is different to walking in the daytime. So if you're walking in the daytime, what I would say is you've got good visibility so you can normally see where you're going or what's around you. When you're at night, you're limited. Uh, and certainly at night, you need to, it sounds bad this, but you need to be on the side of the road facing the oncoming traffic because you need to see the headlights. What you don't want to be doing is walking with your back to the traffic because you can't be aware of what's going on behind you. Mm. So there's just those little kind of pieces. And at night, walk away from shadows, walk under light. Daytime, you, you just have to be careful. You've got to do your, your homework. I was in I was in New Orleans uh, about two years after the Katrina had struck, and I was and I and I'd, I'd done a study kind of about New Orleans and where the damage was, et cetera, et cetera. And I was down Bourbon Street and I was visiting a number of bars and I was right down the bottom and I was chatting to some mounted police officers. And one of them said to me, where are you going to go? And I said, I'm going to go back that way in a minute and then back up the main street. And they went, good, because you don't want to be traveling down that road down there at all and during darkness. So, but I kind of knew that, but it was nice to have that confirmation that I was heading in the right direction. Yeah, so it's it sounds like like if I were you know where I live, I know if I go into London, there's places that I just know more by reputation. Just mm-hmm. got to be careful around this area, but yeah. that's because I've got a little bit of local knowledge, and still I'm probably walking into places where, mm. well, you just don't know. There's too many concealed areas, and so yeah. when we go overseas, mm. you, you have to keep that sort of situational awareness up and be even more present and, and observant I guess don't you yeah very much so and, and I'm one of these I'm a great believer in when you go overseas um, depending where you are of course and depending on the areas is do dress down don't dress up 
if you're going to be in a five-star hotel, dress up if you want. If you're going to go walking at night in, in a country that you're not really used to, dress down as much as you can, because at the end of the day, you can't blame people that see you walking around with a Rolex thinking, I could never want to afford one of those in my life. There's a lot of things you can do to dress down and not become a target, if that's the right word. Mm. And I know people that have gone through parts of South America right? I wouldn't visit personally, and they've come through safely because of the way they are. And the fact they've blended in a bit more. If you're going to Spain, do you need to blend in? Probably not. Yeah. So there's different different countries. So there's different risk levels. Yeah. So your yeah. book, Stay Safe, covers lots of stuff like this. Yeah. And and at the moment it's still on Kindle. And I think if you've got a Kindle account, you can probably download a free copy. I imagine, can't you? Yeah. I think you can. I think it's Prime. You get a free copy, which is atrocious, really, in my view. But however. It's, it's great to share it. I didn't, I didn't, as you know, publish it for money because I didn't get that much for it anyway. Well, um, you might get eight pence commission for that of each download. <laughs> I don't know what it works out as, but it's a, it's a, no, it's joking aside, it's a good book. It's a good little Thank book. You. It's a good way for, if you're a nervous traveler or whether you're just a traveler of any description of just building up your situational awareness and thinking proactively, how mm. can you stay safe? Now, Paul's got a obviously got a military background and amongst other things and so a lot of these tips you've probably learned the hard way but this is a way to get you some sort of really quick hacks into top tips what can you do keep yourself safe and when you are traveling it gives you some sort of surety because you then you can plan and feel a bit more in control of what you're doing very very true if you had one last tip paul in terms of staying safe what would it be apart from buy your book I would say it's, it's don't become paranoid about it, but make it. I, I always remember somebody once said to me, if you're ever going out in your car, check the oil, check the tyres, check the brake fluid. And how many times do people do that? <laughs> and I think with, 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 with travelling and safety, it goes hand in hand. You don't have to be paranoid about it. You just have to plan things and then as I say, build those contingencies in there or redundancies, as I like to call it. So you don't get caught out because it makes everything nice and happy and we have a great time, don't we? Yeah, brilliant. Paul Christian, thank you very much for that. So if you want a copy of Paul's book, it's called Stay Safe. It's available on Kindle. We'll put a link in the chat with this podcast as well. But yeah, lots and lots of tips there, lots of things that you can do to help you feel safer when you travel. Cheers. Thank you.